Welcome to the Security Operative Podcast. This is Tony O'Brien of Security Operative Consultancy Services, here to share with you my perspectives from the world of security and risk management. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Security Operative Podcast. Tony O'Brien here again from Security Operative Consultancy Services. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about security risk assessment and security site security surveys, carrying out site security surveys. Now, originally, this episode of the podcast was supposed to be based upon or supposed to be a recording of a webinar that we did on this very subject. So on Monday, the 25th of January uh, 2021, obviously, uh, we had a webinar on conducting site security surveys, very well attended webinar. I think there was almost 30 people at it for almost an hour and a half as far as I know and we recorded that webinar and I was supposed to just edit that and just release that as part of this podcast and, and YouTube episode but I suppose as I look back and then as I went to edit this uh, some people asked some questions that were quite specific and there was a lot of time where people's um, faces and voices were on the screen so I thought it might be quite unfair on them to uh, just release the raw um webinar footage so i said scrap that they all got their certificates of attendance today and they got the resources that we're going to talk about uh later on they all got emailed a copy of those resources so i said sit down this evening then and just uh, re-record it and just talk briefly about the subject i don't think it'd be fair on you guys the listeners to listen to it for an hour and a half um in the grand scheme of things so I suppose if you're watching on YouTube, there's going to be some, some slides in the background. You're going to be able to see them. If you're listening on the on the podcast, that's fine. Also, I'm going to talk through them all. Um, and I'm going to link uh, to where you can get the slides in the show notes of the podcast if anybody wants to have a look at the slides or, or anything like that. Uh, but you can check it out on YouTube if you are listening on the, on the podcast. So I suppose the topic that we were talking about was conducting site security assessments and the importance of conducting effective site security assessments. Uh, very often I see um, security managers, security officers, security consultants going out to conduct site security assessments. Uh, they bring a tick box checklist with them, they tick the box, do a copy and paste job on a risk assessment, which then goes nowhere apart from gathers dust and that's it. Or they go out to a site to conduct the site risk assessment and they arrive and the client tells them exactly what they want and they go, okay, and they provide that, which is not the the, the, the purpose of it, I suppose. Uh, I often say that we are one of the, the few professions in the world that put as much, as experts put as much credibility in what our client tells us to do. You know, I don't think anyone would ever, any client would ever go to a doctor or an accountant or a solicitor or a surgeon and say, yeah, I'm, I'm walking out, I've got a pain here. Um, I know it's my heart. I need you just to take it out. Yeah. And that'll be it soft. You know, no professional in the world would listen to them. And that's not our job as security. We're the experts. Oftentimes with, with clients, they have a, a thought process about what they want because they don't know any different. And we're the people whose jobs it is to conduct an effective site security survey or site security assessment and give them a range of options. Now they may still choose the option that they went for. But our job then is to say, well, okay, well, this is what it will take to make that option, to make that option work for you, I suppose. Uh, so I suppose it's not, it's in, it's in the, the content of what we're going to talk about is understanding that there is a rationale for carrying out proper ones. And that's just what we talked about there. The importance of what are the important concepts when it comes to um, site security service, understanding the process first, how we establish the, the context on a given site, 
and the criteria methodology that we measure our site security survey against. Then we're going to talk about risk analysis, risk, risk treatment, and a little bit at the end then on implementation and monitoring, which might be slightly hard to do on a podcast, I suppose. Uh, and I'm going to try to keep this within the, within the kind of hour. I don't know how it's going to end up in the end, but we'll know at the end. I suppose one thing to get across at the start is understanding what a security risk assessment is about. I've spoken about this before. Oftentimes for ourselves, we, we talk about security, I suppose, as the, as the noun or the verb, I suppose, we provide security. Uh, we provide the systems, processes, and procedures that, um, that lead to a secure environment. But I suppose one thing that's not to be forgotten about is we, often talk, we should often remember that security is also an adjective. It describes a state of being. And that state of being is often internal to the employees or the users of that site. So our security risk assessment is designed, yes, to set in place structures and processes and frameworks, but also to bring about the feeling of security in those who we are supposed to be uh, protecting or assessing to make their workplace safe. And then understanding, I suppose, the fundamental of risk as well. And understanding that risk and threat are two different concepts. You know, we are not always concerned about the malicious actor uh, or about specific malicious actors when we talk about threat. We're talking about risk in its totality. So we might be talking about uh, major, major threats like terrorism and bombings and, and things like that. You know, major threats, major severity threats, but very low likelihoods. And it's important to also remember that the, the high consequence, high vulnerability threats may not have high impact, but still should not be left behind. Uh, so suppose understanding what should a security risk assessment provide? Well, the first thing is to appraise the overall security situation on a site. So we're looking at the totality of the security situation. And we're looking at that in, on the total footprint of the, of the site. And we're looking to project beyond that footprint and see, well, what's going out there in the community that could affect the security risk assessment on this site? We're also looking to assess and understand what the client's drive decision drivers are. Why are they looking for this assessment or why are they looking to bring in security? Is it knee-jerk? Is it in response to something that has happened? Is it an insurance issue? So it's a transfer of risk to somebody else. Uh, insurance have, have got involved in. Or is it a proactive approach to risk? Is it driven primarily by budget, by somebody having a, a, a really need and pestering an employee or a, or a risk owner, we'll say? So, for example, it might be driven by budget, in which case we're looking at, okay, we're going to lay out some options here, but chances are they're going to go with the lowest option. Or it might be a protective services operation where the client is getting security because the client's wife, husband, child has been nagging at them that they don't feel safe. And it's amazing what people will do for peace of mind. Budgets all of a sudden become secondary. Uh, the third thing is that it could it must bring value, I suppose, to the client. We are not there just to tell the client what they want to hear. We're not there to say, yeah, everything is okay. Everything's going to be okay. That's not what we're there for. We're there to give them a realistic appraisal. And by laying out the options, we're supposed to bring the, the, the available options. We bring the best value possible with the, to the clients. You know, I've often saved clients up into the hundreds of thousands on um, suggestions that they had for what they felt their security needed. And it was very, very simple. I often think of the, the funny story I was told one time about the, the Fisher space pen when, when the, uh, the US were going into space and they spent millions designing this pen that would write in space, you know, and the Russians sent a pencil. 
you know, I often think about sometimes simplicity is the best thing as a, as a problem solver. So it's not about overcomplicating things. It's about providing value. On the flip side of that, it's not about cheaping out and telling the client what they want to hear either. And then the final thing, I suppose, is that the security, the site security assessment has to align with into the overall security system. There is no point in putting in place or suggesting security procedures that are not going to fit with the culture the context, and we'll talk about culture and context in a little while, uh, the building's infrastructure or the site's infrastructure. And in addition to that, it has to align, and we're going to talk about this in a while, has to align with all the documents that are feeding into it and coming out of it. So what I mean by that is that a site security assessment or risk assessment or threat assessment, whatever you want to call it, is not a standalone document. It should have a range of other documents and processes feeding into it, and as a result of what you find in your site security assessment, there should be a range of other documents and procedures feeding out of it. And this is the central kind of hub. So it doesn't just sit there gathering dust, it's used to inform. It takes information from uh, a range of places and it feeds information into a range of places. And that's important to, to understand as well. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little way. So the design process generally that I use, I generally start off beforehand, and this is a common mistake that I see uh, when site security assessments are happening. I always start off with the research process long before I get anywhere near a site. And what I'm talking about there is uh, general run-of-the-mill open source research. And that could be simple things like um, geographical searches on Google Maps for things like closest police stations, closest hospitals, fire services, uh, proximity to things like schools or anything with a geographical risk associated. Maybe that the site itself is not a major risk, but geographically it's located to a building that is a major risk of some kind of malicious actor. Uh, newspaper clippings, you know, newspaper research, social media research, uh, those sort of things, getting an idea. Local crime demographics. What is the local demographic in the area? What sort of people live there? Um, things like that. All that is very easily sourced on the internet and gives you a good baseline to start. Following that, I generally try to conduct some interviews with the key stakeholders, and we'll talk about stakeholder analysis in a little while, but we'll generally try to conduct some uh, interviews with the people who are project sponsor who are calling us in, or with people who are influential on that site, stakeholders influential, long before we get there to see what their views are on uh, why they need security, what they would like security to achieve, uh, how they would like security to fit in or not, and things like that. Get their idea about historical incidents and often stuff will come out there. And only then, only then, will we go and do a site visit. I'm often concerned about people who get a phone call, immediately jump in a car, conduct a site visit and go out. That is not a security risk assessment or a site security assessment. You do your client no favors by going there and tick a box. By establishing the context first, you know the context in which you're operating when you go to the site visit. If you don't do that and you arrive on a site visit with none of that background research done, you're just ticking a box and it will have very little relevance to the site. So we do our research, we conduct some interviews, and I do a whole separate thing on, uh, on how I conduct interviews and take notes from interviews uh, in a week or two. It's a very defined process to how you should do that, how you should uh, approach a, a case interview with a, a client the type of notes that I take, how I then file those notes, and, and it's a whole separate uh, podcast episode, I suppose. 
So then we take our, our, our site visit uh, details, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on. I use a, a system for, for uh, conducting the site visit, a risk assessment platform. Uh, I use, uh, I've I spoke about it before in here, it's called iAuditor by a company called Safety Culture. I've used it for quite a long time. I'm almost completely paperless when it comes to, when it comes to sites uh, or site visits. I will have all of my research, uh, all of my interviews already fed into a section on my uh, on my iAuditor template on the on the iPad or a tablet. I'll then have my template set up for the site visit. I'll answer the questions, I'll make my notes, I'll add my photographs, my handwritten notes, my signatures, all that kind of stuff. And I'll take that away and that'll give me my site visit report and my research, my research and site visit report. And once I have that, I'll begin to design my site security uh, survey report. So I will take the, the findings from my site visit, what I found, all the research and the interview information, and I'll put that into a report. And I'll, I'll show you who, for people who are watching on the screen, what that report will look like, but otherwise I'll, I'll talk to it for, for, for others. I will then deliver the report. And in that report, in my recommendations on that report, firstly, I'll have identified a range of risks. I'll have analyzed those risks, evaluated them and prioritized them. And for each of the high priority risks, I'll always deliver a range of options for the client. And I'll tell the client, based on my risk matrices, exactly how low I believe each of those options will take it. And each of those options might have a different cost involved. And it's up to the client then to decide. Sometimes then my job is done. You know, that's all I was asked to do was make those recommendations. Other times you will be asked to stay around and maybe stand over some project implementation. So you might be saying, okay, I want to pick option B and you might be put in charge of implementing it. And then we go into project management mode. We come up with a project plan. We come up with a work breakdown structure and possibly a project flow chart. And we start implementing that project. But oftentimes that is not the case. That will be done in, internally by the client or maybe by separate, separate uh, subcontractors. And then once it's involved uh, or implemented, commissioned we might have a role there in overseeing the commissioning um we then evaluate well how effective is it actually by perhaps another site visit so <clears throat> that's the general run of it i research i carry out my interviews only when i've gathered all that research and i have my context will i conduct my site visit once i conduct my site visit and gather the on-site evidence i'll then design my site security assessment report i'll deliver that to the client with a range of options the client will decide which option to implement, if any, and we'll evaluate the effectiveness of those options. And that will feed back into our research for, for further uh, assessments then after that. So like I mentioned it to you earlier on, we have a security risk review report and that sits in the middle. And if you're looking at this on YouTube, you'll see all my, my surrounding things. We have to gather, first of all, if I skip ahead a little bit, and we're going to look here at the ISO 31000 risk management process. And the very first thing that we're doing here is establishing the context in which we are gathering or conducting. So what that means is we have to understand the context in which we are operating in. And that will include the external context, the internal context, who the stakeholders are, and what information is available out there. So generally, that will start from me. Um, 
with something like an external analysis. And that external analysis, I generally try to use a, a pestle analysis for anyone who's come across a pestle analysis. It's a very good analysis tool or model uh, used in the business world quite often for understanding the external macro environment in which you are operating. PESTLE stands for uh, political, economic, social, technological, environmental, and legal. Sometimes they switch around the legal and environmental at the end of that. Um, so political, um, political views of the client or site. Have they been involved in politics before? What are their political leanings? Are there any, um, I suppose, they're negative political? So for example, if it's a bank, has the site been repossessed? Um, is, there, is there issues around that? Uh, and then we talk about economic issues. Is there you know, money issues? What's the funding streams like? Uh, what's the budget? All of those sorts of things. What is the economic, um, the, the macroeconomic situation that we're operating in? Are we in a recession? Are we in good times? Is the client being encouraged or discouraged from the type of uh, site that's being designed? The social context then, talk about demographics. We're talking about sociographics. We are, are talking about the, the social um, utility of the site itself. We are talking about local crime statistics, like we mentioned earlier on. Uh, technology, what is the existing technology in the area? What sort of technology is the, the threat actors likely to, likely to use? And what sort of technology is available to us as, as tools to operate in? Uh, environmental impact, uh, sometimes we have to understand the environmental impact. Is it in a, an affluent neighborhood? Is it in a very picturesque neighborhood where we can't just go running cameras all over the place, uh, building large concrete walls, stuff like that. So understanding the environment that it, that it operates in. And finally, legal. So we're talking about things like regulation, legislation, standards, uh, down as far as guidelines and guidance. And when we have that done, that gives us quite a decent picture of the external operating um, picture. Then we might look at the internal operating picture, the existing security measures or what we know about the existing security measures from the interviews. I would generally bring some of my questions so from the research, you know, maybe reports about recent crime incidents there. Uh, and from the interviews, I'll get an idea and we'll conduct what's called a SWOT analysis. I'm sure very many of you are familiar with that SWOT analysis. Uh, to understand the, the existing strengths, security strengths on the site, the existing security weaknesses, as is perceived by people, what the security opportunities are to, to, to harden the target, and what the existing threats are internally. And then we also might look at, well, if it's a large site, so let me give the example of a construction site, uh, we carry out what's called a, um, a stakeholder analysis. So a large construction build, it could be a corporate build, it could be a residential build, um, it could be a retail build, but you're going to have such a range of stakeholders. So you're going to have people like the, um, the property developer, possibly the landowner, possibly project management companies, construction uh, operators, other um, stakeholders, uh, other contractors, subcontractors on the building, and the local residents. And we're going to map them out into uh, those who have high influence or low influence or power over our role. So people like project managers and the client themselves, high influence. People like the general public will have a, probably a low instance or, or, or other subcontracts or cleaning or facilities management companies, probably a low influence. And then we're also going to map, well, what is their level of interest? Do they have a high level of interest or a low level of interest? So even though the landowner could have a high impact or high power over our position as a security provider, they probably have a low interest, you know? And even though the, um, the local residents could have a high level of interest in how we do security on the site, they will possibly have a high level of power or low level of power to dictate how we do it. 
In addition to that, then we might have some uh, open source intelligence uh, feeding into our security risk review. We might have various standards or guidelines and standards are important when it comes to criteria later on. It's always good to have a standard or benchmarks, so which could be talking about ISO standards, BIS or BSI standards, PAS standards, uh, CPNI standards, any of those out there. Uh, and then the final thing I always say to be cognizant of if you're doing it on a, um, on a tendered or a competitive basis where you've won a tender is that your security risk review has to hit the criterion based in the tender. So they're all really your inputs and there's possibly more of those that will feed in into the um, security risk review. And then out of that, you're probably going to have your, based on your security risk review, your uh, recommendations and the options that you outline. You're probably going to have to build your SOP manuals, your assignments, your risk register will come out of that, your safety statement will possibly come out of that, and then out of them will come a range of other things, other documents like the job specification for the people on that site, the equipment and assets um, inventory that's going to be needed for that, for that site, the training and development plan that's going to be needed for that site. You know, a range of other documents will come out of that security risk review and its sub-documents then um, after that. So like we said, we've established the context, uh, we've done our interviews, we've done our OSINT, we've done our, our, our external and external uh, analysis. Next thing then is to get into the meat and bones of the risk management process, going to the site, we're going to identify the risks, and we're going to anal analyse those risks against our, against our criteria. So now it becomes important to understand the differences, I suppose, between a security risk assessment and a safety risk assessment. And I harp on about this all the time. The, now, we're gonna talk here about um, quantitative matrix. So one to five uh, risk assessment matrices, one being low, five being high, or one being uh, low severity, five. There's, there's loads of them out there. Uh, it is, there are problems. There are problems with, with quantitative um, risk criterion. We all we all know that, you know. But I, I always talk about it, uh, particularly here in Ireland. In the UK you'll have GCSEs. In Ireland here we have the leave in search, uh, like your high school exams in America. I always say, look at they are the they are the least unfair, unfair system that we have. You know? Um there is problems with them. We know that those problems can be addressed if you do it carefully, but they are the best bad solution that we have effectively you know in, in quite a lot of cases in why i say that are there other more scientific methods that measure risk better yes yes there are okay but oftentimes when we're putting that across to the client the client will not be familiar or understand many of those systems so sometimes uh, a one to five numerical based or qualitative based uh risk assessment matrix is the most suitable option, while it may not be the, the best option. Now, why I say that a security risk assessment and a safety risk assessment uh, should be treated differently. For the safety risk assessment, it generally falls on the line of a two-dimensional um, risk matrix, the likelihood on one side and the severity of consequence on another side. So here we have a number, we have likelihood versus severity. Sometimes it would be probability versus consequence, or it could be threats versus vulnerabilities, whatever type of assessment that you're doing. The issue with the health and safety-based risk assessments is on the severity matrix. Generally, health and safety-based risk assessments rank severity based on the risk of personal injury or death. 
And that's often not the most suitable criterion for measuring security risk. For example, information security breach or access control breach or um, vandalism on the outside of the, of, the, of the site. They will all register as quite low on the severity scale if you measure it on a safety risk assessment. So it's important for us to measure uh, using the right measurement tools in the first place. Now, this is one that I have here. Uh, I have to give credit where it's from. It's from the Security Risk Management Aid Memoir written by Mr. Julian Talbot. It's my, my go-to piece of, uh, I suppose, information or booklet. I have the Security Risk Management uh, Body of Knowledge book here. Uh, it's an absolute tome, it's a volume. Uh, it's not something I'm going to be carrying around with me. But what I do often carry around, if I can stop this share for a second, is the Kindle version of the Security Risk Management Aid Memoir. Now, for those of you watching on, uh, on YouTube, you may be able to, you may be able to see it on the, on the screen here. Uh, this is it here. You can buy it on Kindle. I believe it's about seven euros on Kindle. It's, um, Fits, fits on my phone or on my tablet, has all of the, um, the general, I suppose, core concepts from the, the Body of Knowledge book, uh, all of the general um, things that you might need, and it's a very good reference. And I like the matrix that they use in that. So it's a tree three-dimensional matrix or two-dimensional matrix in most things, has a likelihood frame, with a, a, a qualitative and a historical um, or a range of different likelihood uh, probabilities in it. It also then has a consequence uh, outcomes, but it uses the, the Piper or various, the Piper C um, consequence, which basically says uh, it's assessing your consequence in terms of people, information, property, economic outcome, reputational outcome, an operational capability. And I think it's a very, very good one. And I forget exactly what page is taken from. And then it maps those onto it. Now I use a kind of a modification on that, just a slight uh, modification on that. Uh, in terms of, I use a three-pronged approach. I quantitatively uh, rate the likelihood, one to five, in terms of likelihood or probability. I rate the impact to business operation and generally this is just an example that i have on the screen here for, for those of you watching on youtube but i use the, the piper model to give a, a list of the impacts but i also use the vulnerability scale and what i mean by that is something might be very likely to happen and might have a high degree of impact should it happen but actually how vulnerable are we as a site to that happening in terms of the controls that we already have in place if somebody did attempt to do it, even though the outcome might be high, what is their chances of success with the existing controls? And I think that's very, very important to, to do. So then I suppose it's important to talk about, well, okay, we've assessed them, we've quantified them. What are we going to do about treating them? And again, we've got our four main risk uh, treatment options. We could avoid the risk altogether and say, look, we're, we're just not going to do that here. Uh, probably more common is we transfer our risk. So what we talk about is insurance or we transfer it to a subcontractor. Uh, for low level risk, we may just accept the risk, I suppose. And where the security industry really lives is in option, the, the last option, which is we attempt to mitigate or reduce the, reduce the risk. 
And what we talk about here is, look, we have to decide, well, what sort of risks in it? And one of, one of the things I like from, from risk managers is the Stroud matrix, when you talk about quantifying risks. And that talks about BAU risks, business as usual risks. So it might be things like theft, fraud, burglary, vandalism. We know it's a, a high likelihood that it's going to that it is going to happen, but the impact is kind of minimal on the business operations or on injury or death or on uh, financial or, or reputational. There is going to be uh, routine risks. Uh, so you're going to have phishing attacks, uh, attempted denial of service attacks. You're going to have insider risks. And what we mean there is that you know, we, there's a slightly higher impact. There's a likelihood this will happen. We're slightly more vulnerable to it because the control measures tend to be less and the impact is potentially higher. Then we get to our swans, or if you believe in those, the white swan and the black swan, you know, things like, you know, unprecedented stuff, depending on where it is, you know, uh, a terror attack on a florist, you know, uh, in, a, in an urban town, or sorry, a rural town uh, type thing, you know, um, those sort of stuff. Uh, very few of those in actuality, I suppose. Don't don't even try and come here and mention a pandemic as a as a as a swan because it's absolutely not. And then we talk about the ones that we really should be concerned about are our danger zone ones, and they are ones that we have a high likelihood that it might happen or a medium likelihood that it might happen, but ones which we are vulnerable to with the existing control measures and would have a very high impact. So we're talking about things like if you're operating in hostile environments, you know, medium to high likelihood something's going to happen very high uh, impact and we may also be quite vulnerable to it depending on the procedures etc that we have in, in place or you might be talking about a serious privacy breach or serious reputational damage case so we're going to quantify them and decide okay well what is it that we are going to try to do to mitigate those or reduce those down to an acceptable level down to an area where we can get them to accept them and there's a couple of things to understand then i suppose firstly is your your um your you and your clients i suppose risk appetite knowing what the client's risk appetite is are they risk averse or are they willing to accept a certain level of risk and then being able to know what what, what i would call your alap your as low as reasonably practical and being honest with the client about this not saying i saw a, a response to a tender that i was working on with a client there recently a retail client and one of the responses came in from a, a well-known security operator, international security operator, and the tender contained a line about how they were going to reduce stock loss, etc. And that line was that we will eliminate stock loss in your store within the 12-month duration of this contract. And I said, well, that's optimistic, uh, to, say the, to say the least. When we're outlining our options, we have, okay, here is your existing risk. If you do this risk treatment, we are going to bring it down to this. If you choose option A, this is as low as we can reasonably get your risk. If we choose option B, we can get it maybe a little bit lower, but it will cost you more. And if we choose option C, we can get it a little bit lower again, but it's going to cost you a lot more. So understanding those things that you cannot eradicate risk, we're trying to get it as low as reasonably practical, dependent on the client's level of risk appetite and how much they're willing to, to come in with. So we plot that in our risk register then. So on the risk register, we would have our, our threat criteria. We would uh, list our risks, what category to fall into and a description of the risk that might come with us. And we rate it likelihood, vulnerability, impact. And we number those three, uh, we, we multiply those three together to get our risk rating, our current risk rating. So if we're using a one to five scale, we have our likelihood one to five, our vulnerability one to five, and our impact one to five. 
and we multiply those together. So the top score there is 225, five by five by five, when we're carrying it out. If you got a 225 risk rating on any of your threats or risks, uh, you really should be avoiding it. Um, in terms of what we do with that, then we have to decide, well, what ones are we going to avoid? What ones are we going to transfer? What ones are we going to accept? Um, <clears throat> So in terms of how we would categorize what is going to go on the actual risk register, what will go on the risk assessment or risk register when we're giving it to the client based on our, our, our survey. So we're going to say, okay, probably Anton, we pick a median level of risk. Our risk appetite is 110 or 120, depending on the client, I suppose. You know? Anton above that, we are going to have in, and below that, we're going to accept. We're not going to put any more control measures in. We're just going to go accept. And then above, we say 110, and I'll just pick a number here, 110 to 150, we are going to mitigate or transfer. We're going to put in place control measures or we're going to hand it over to somebody else. And Anthony above, we'll say 150 or 200, whatever you want here, or 150 or 175, whatever the case may be, we are going to avoid. So for the ones we are going to mitigate or transfer, we are going to put in our control measures. I like to put in options when it's still at survey stage. I put in a range of options for the client. When they define their options that we put into our risk register, our, our risk register properly, we look again then at what will that risk come down to based on that? And what have we decided to do based on that? Are we going to accept, transfer, whatever the case may be? And after that, our job is quite possibly done. We hand over this with a range of options to our clients. So what I'm looking at, what I'm going to talk about now is, well, how would we hand that over? And I generally hand that over in a, in a site um, risk survey or risk review report. So like I said, I'm completely paperless. I use two platforms. For my site walk around and site visit, I use uh, iAuditor. Uh, I have my own template set up in here. Uh, if you're looking on the screen here, I can possibly share with you, yes. If you're looking on the screen, um, I have my, uh, like a word-based version of the template I have in there. So effectively we put in some of the site, the general site criteria. Um, and then we have our, our checklist or our questions as we're going around a site that we need to answer and our commentaries as we go around and put them in. And that all transfers back up to the top once we complete it into our general observations for each of the nine areas that we are, are looking at. Generally, when I'm going around looking at a site, I look at it from the point of view of existing risk assessments, management policies and procedures, the physical security measures in place, the access control measures, employee security, information security, security of materials and assets on the site, emergency response processes, and their crisis management procedures. And at the end, I'll look at their existing protocols for reviews and audits. And I'll have a range of questions, sometimes between kind of eight and 10 questions for each of those areas that I need to address or answer as I'm, as I'm walking around. I'll fill that in in iAuditor. I'll add in my photographs. I'll add in my notes. I'll add in sometimes audio or video into it. And then what I will do is I will transfer that iAuditor report, my site visit report to a PDF, and I'll send it. And it'll go to me, first of all. Uh, and then what I'll do is I will transfer the findings of that into my site security. Now into my site security risk review. And when I do my site security risk review, I do my paper-based you know, recommendations and stuff like that, and I'll go through the format that I use for it. But then also I put in place my risk assessment or, or proposed risk register uh, based on what I found. And the platform that I use for that, and I really, really cannot recommend this platform enough. I've, I've recommended it to a, 
uh, a range of people um, over the years is the Sectara platform. It's an, uh, I think, I believe an Australian based uh, platform. You can find it on sectara.com, S-E-C-T-A-R-A.com. Fantastic platform. There's a free plan that you can go in and try out, but I think the small business plan is like a hundred dollars annual or something like that, hundred Australian. So, and, and it's everything you could ever, ever need in terms of conducting really, really thorough. They put all the things in there that you need. They're really, really thorough and really, really effective. I don't work for them. I've no affiliation with them. I just, I've recommended so many people. It is a fantastic product for anyone involved in risk or threat management or conducting risk or threat assessments. Um, so I, I really do enjoy it. I think it's a, it's a fantastic tool. In terms of then what that would look like then as I produce a report, um, for those of you watching on, on YouTube, or I might even be able to put it in the show notes, actually, my, my example. Um, I have my security risk review report. And for those of you listening, I'll just go through the kind of table of contents that I'll have it. So on the first page, I will have my document details, document reference, and I'll go into how I file and reference my documents on another podcast, a version control and distribution controllers. And then I get to probably the most important part. This is a redacted uh, one that I use just a sample. I've given this out to people on the webinar. One of the most important pages on the executive summary. In my experience, clients rarely go past the executive summary. So you need to summarize exactly what you did, your methodology. So I generally have a paragraph for introduction, a paragraph for my methodology, uh, a paragraph for my uh, findings, and a paragraph for my recommendations, and signpost them to exactly where you can find them. So based on my site visit review, then, I will have my contents. I have my scope and purpose. What was the scope of the review? What was in, What was I looking at? And most importantly, what was I not looking at? So they don't come back and go, well, you didn't mention anything about that. Well, that wasn't in my scope. What was the purpose of it? What am I hoping to achieve? What methodology did I apply and criteria did I apply? And then a brief overview of my findings. So I put in there my observations. What were the critical risks? What were the high risks? What were the medium risks? Then I'll go through my sections. Uh, location-based risks, what are the historic risks, what existing security controls, physical security that's in place, all that kind of thing, and my commentary. And then at the end, I will have my, my risk register. So you'll see if you're looking at it, I have all those pages. I think this one, this is quite a short one. It's a redacted one that I'm looking at now on my screen. Um, goes through still a little bit of details, redacted, take a lot out. But then we get into our access control, our, sorry, physical security measures, risk review so here is our actual risk assessment threat assessment so for those of you listening let me give you an example i've raised the uh, the threats uh, access control uh, issue and the risk description is a uh, limited access control from reception area of the building to work areas via elevators or stairs high likelihood of unauthorized access using social engineering tailgating or more basic access control measures and on this particular and again it's fictional i rated that the likelihood was four out of five the vulnerability was five out of five, we were completely vulnerable to it, and the impact is potentially four. So that's a risk rating of 80 in that one. And we outlined a number of options. Reinstate access control reader in the elevators and support with a training and awareness program. Reinstate access control readers in elevators and install anti-tailgating technology. Gets a little bit lower, but it has a higher cost. Install access control turnstiles across the lobby area gets it a little bit lower, but again, has a higher cost. And option four, provide a security presence in the lobby area. Gets it to a medium 
level. It's not going to stop as much as a load of turnstiles, but um, but it probably has much less cost than turnstiles. And I go through each of my risks like that, and I lay out a range of options for each of those um, for each of those risks. So that's generally how I go through it. If it was to finish off then and talk about, well, what if you're asked to come in and stay around for the implementation? The client says, okay, I pick option A. What will I go with? Okay, you've picked option A and I'll generally go now, we're on to project management now. Uh, we're going to do a, a project management type of a job on it now. So what we're looking to do on the project management phase then is, I suppose, break down the various phases. And the example that I have in the, in, the, in the webinar and the example that I have here if you're watching on YouTube is it's for a security system installation. And I carry it out, out what's called a work breakdown structure. So what we do is we break the work into different phases and the phases will be dependent on the project. And we do a tree. Uh, if you Google, if you go online and just Google uh, work breakdown structure diagram, there's loads of templates you can use out there. So phase one in this, I have planning. Phase two, removal of old equipment. Phase three, installation. And phase four is four, or phase four is closure, excuse me. Within phase one then, the planning and scoping, I have a planning phase, I have what's it, an engagement phase, and I have a scoping phase. And then within that, there's subtasks again. So I have one, 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 two, one, three, and so on and so forth across the, the board. So I break it down into timelines. And then what I will do is I'll apply that to uh, a Gantt chart. And again, if you're getting the slides, you'll see the Gantt chart on here, but I'll break down each of my tasks onto a Gantt chart. Who is responsible? What is the timeline? And what is the dependencies? And we put a visual representation across. And for me, I've always found that to be the best way of doing project uh, management. I'll do a whole separate one on project management, security project management, uh, if there's an interest in it, uh, or a whole separate webinar if people are interested in that. Uh, but this is just about the security risk review of the site and what should come out of that. So like I said, the webinar lasted for, um, I believe, an hour and a half. There were some great questions on it. Uh, but I suppose the key takeaways for people that I want to reinforce on this podcast is make sure you get your context. Make sure you're measuring it against the correct criterion. Otherwise, you've wasted a load of paper. And always give your client a range of options at the end of your survey. Don't tell the client what to do. Lay out the options and let them choose. I always say our job is not to say no to the client, not to tell them what they can't have. Our job is to tell them what it is going to take to get to yes. You know? So if you want A, you need to invest B. If you only want C, then you only need to invest D. And that's our, our job at the security risk survey or the site security survey. So that was the general gist of us. Uh, next week, I'm going to be back with a, another interview. I'm not going to spoil the surprise who it is, but it's, uh, it's a, another friend of mine. Very interesting interview that I recorded the other night. Um, if anybody has any suggestions for future topics for any of the webinars, our February webinar is coming up last week in February, and that's going to be on writing effective security policy and security procedures. So if anybody's interested, I'm going to put the Eventbrite link up uh, probably next week. Uh, we have an article coming out later on this week. This will probably go out on the Friday, actually. So it could be, uh, it's now Friday the 29th. So it could, uh, the article could actually come out early next week, uh, which is on um, securing, securing quarantine sites. Um, and then we have another article coming out, actually an international magazine that came out this week in the Professional Security Officer magazine. So before we go, I just want to give a quick shout out. 
Uh, yesterday, I was asked virtually at an event at the CPA and Technology Forum, a virtual online event, ran by Mr. Phelan Rowe. And I really have to say, Phelan has to be congratulated. He ran an absolutely awesome event. Great panelists, great speakers, great topics, kept people entertained from 8 o'clock in the morning to 10 p.m. last night. And I really think he deserves a round of applause for how he puts on a, puts on a show. So well done, Phelan. Until next week, thank you very much. I appreciate you all listening. And as always, feedback is appreciated. Until next week, this is Tony from Security Operative Consultancy Services signing off. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Security Operative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and got some value. If you'd like to follow more of our activity, you can find us on any of our social channels at Security Operative Consultancy Services. See you next time.